number of predictions, uh, prophecy regarding the coming of the Messiah, um, Jesus Christ. In fact, of all the Old Testament books, this probably has some of the most extensive and detailed prophecies in all of the Bible. So we're going to consider Isaiah chapter 11. I want to be, uh, read from chapter 11, 1 through um, 10. Before we um, read from this uh, passage together, um, it is the Advent season, and this is what we call an Advent passage. That is, it's a, it's a kind of passage that points us forward to the kind of kingdom that Jesus Christ has, has come to bring. And oftentimes when we think of Jesus coming to this earth, we, we sometimes just ask ourselves the, the very fundamental question, why did he actually come to this earth? And if you've been in the Christian faith for some time, your answer usually is something like this. Jesus came to this earth. He was born into this world ultimately so that he would die, which then raises the question, why would he die? And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus died in order to pay for our sins, have our sins forgiven and reconcile us to God. And we usually kind of just end it there. Right? Jesus came to this world to save me from my sin. And that certainly is part of it. And it's a beautiful truth. But what we're going to look at is a more of a wide-angle view lens of why Jesus Christ came to this world. And that's not only to reconcile us and other humans to Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but God has, uh, Jesus has come to this world in order to not just reconcile us, but reconcile the entire creation to God. The entire world, the entire physical creation. And that's all I'm going to say at this point, but that's, that's the wide angle that we need to embrace because it certainly is um, indeed indicative of the passage in which we're reading. So I want to draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll begin reading at uh, verse 1. You'll notice that the first five verses give a description of the Messiah Jesus, and then verse 6 and following teaches us something of the world that he has come to restore. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We see a number of the qualities that are associated with the Messiah Jesus. Now, verse 6. Let's look at the, the kind of world that, that Jesus is going to inaugurate one day. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. 
They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. We're going to end our reading at that point. There's just a lot of good news here, right? Jesus Christ comes for his people. Jesus Christ comes for the nations. The nations are going to be drawn to this Messiah. But not only that, what we see is actually the animal kingdom, indeed the physical creation itself, will, will enter into the blessings of the sons and the daughters of God. So really, what, what's beautiful about this passage is that oftentimes I find, even within the church, even with people who have been part of the Christian faith for so long, we sometimes become rather reductionistic, kind of narrow when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this afternoon, we're going to see that, that the gospel relates, the good news of Jesus Christ relates not just to this, to the forgiveness of our sins, to the Messiah Jesus, but he's come, as I said before the scripture reading, to restore the entire creation. We have to look forward to that uh, one day. So I want to... I want to begin somewhat on a, a rather uh, personal note, now that it's, it's about me, but just kind of personally. Um, I, I, I find, yes, personally, but oftentimes in terms of the pastoral ministry, that um, the Christmas season, interestingly enough, is for not everyone, but for a number of people, kind of a bittersweet season. And it's sweet because... Um, you know, Christmas time is a, is, a, is a cozy time. Many of us have Christmas trees in our home or we have Christmas lights on our homes. Um, there's an exchange of presents for those of you who have family in the area. You get together with family and you have some sweet times like that. And we have special concerts, like there's a concert tonight, the Yarrow Canadian Reformed Church. And, you know, we have special music here and, 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 and special services and these kinds of things, you know. And they're, they're, they're a blessing. You know, we kind of look forward to that during the Advent and the Christmas season. But um, for a, a number of individuals that um, the Christmas season can kind of be a... a uh, a bitter time, uh, uh, somewhat of a difficult time. It's very interesting. You talk to individuals, and uh, you, you probably identify with this, where you, where you think of the Christmas season. You ever get this where you kind of go, you know, you, 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 um, we, we keep saying Christmas season is such a busy season, and it is, you know, because we have, all, all of a sudden we find ourselves in all these obligations, especially during the month of December. And don't we always say this? We say at the end of the Christmas season, I'm not going to do it that way, this uh, next year, you know, we're going to change things around. It's going to be more relaxing, and it never is. It's always busy, busy, right? So there's that, but it's it's the Christmas time and the Advent season can be a difficult time because, and a bitter time at times because of sometimes not just fatigue, but loss. Um, this is a kind of season that is a reflective season, and uh, for some of us here, we reflect not on what we have gained over the past year. And we have, because the Lord's been good. But we think about what we have kind of lost. Um, it was around this time that I lost my brother, Bob. It was two years ago. And then I was thinking about it, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that almost to the day, we had the funeral of my brother, my younger brother, who 
died. Uh, it's the 40th anniversary of that. 40 years. And if you've lost a loved one, you, you, can, you may have lost them 10, 20, 30 years ago or more. And sometimes you think about it, it seems like yesterday. And you think about, especially if they died around this time of year, how that tempered family celebrations and all that. Well, that's not to get us down, right? We, we can identify with some of these things. But the, the, our passage here, in the midst of our reflections, and sometimes the bittersweet time of the Christmas season, is meant to encourage us. Because what is the focus of our passage here this afternoon is not things that are bittersweet, but it's all about redemption. It's all about restoration. It's all about the coming of the king and the kingdom, and that one day, the things that we face that are sometimes difficult in this world, that we sense really acutely during the Christmas time season, one day they're all going to be gone. And one day, all the things that we go through in this world will be replaced by the very theme of Christmas, peace, shalom, the Hebrew word meaning health, life, peace, blessing. Now, getting into the passage, that, that kind of peace and that shalom uh, and that complete restoration I'm talking about with the, the whole new entrance of, the, of Jesus at his return with the new heavens and new earth, that, that's not what the people of God are experiencing here at this point in this passage. The, the people of God, our spiritual ancestors, are in captivity. They have turned their backs on God. God warned them over and over again through the prophets, turn back to me. I love you. You are my children. Turn back to me. And the people didn't want to. They turned actually not back to the Lord, but they turned their backs to the Lord. And they were actually, morally speaking, becoming worse than the nations around them. And so God said to them, what I'm going to do is I'm going to place you into captivity, not to destroy all of you and begin anew with a whole new set of people, but I'm going to discipline you for a time in captivity. And that captivity was filled with pain and loneliness and a despair. And you can, you, can, you can almost hear the people of the Old Covenant crying out in the words of the hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is God with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lowly exile here until Messiah, until the Son of God appears. And all throughout Isaiah, we find all these predictions, prophecies, that yes, for my people, says the Lord, I am going to bring my son into this world. He will be the great king, he will be the Messiah, and he will be your savior. And as you entrust yourself to him, you will have the forgiveness of sins, you will be reconciled to me, your life will be transformed, I will put my law into your heart and my spirit into your heart so that you will walk in my ways, and one day, all the pains and the sorrows of this life will be done away with and all things will be made gloriously new. And you know what? We're given a little picture of that newness and that new life, that new environment here in our passage. What I want to do is not so much focus on verses 1 through 5 that focuses on the various qualities of the Messiah to come, but I want to draw your attention to verse 6 here. Um, if you have your Bibles, take a look at that. Otherwise, you can take a look at the screen. And, and the, 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 the passage that we're doing, verse 6 through, let's say, especially verse 9, it's, it's not something that we can identify right now in this life of ours and in the world that we observe. Verse 6, 
The day is going to come when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then verse 10, a reference to the nations. In that day, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire. They will seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. I want you to take a look at the imagery of this passage. It's kind of a bizarre picture, right? Wolves live alongside of lambs. Leopards live alongside of goats. Cows live alongside of bears. Young children are on friendly terms with poisonous snakes. The knowledge of God covers the entire earth and the nations that in many ways stand opposed to God, very resistant to him by the grace and the spirit of God will actually be drawn to this Messiah. So it's all good. It's all good. But it's also some strange imagery to us as well. And and some of the strangest imagery here revolve around two sets of animals. You You have wild animals And then you have what are called domesticated animals. And when you take a close look at the text, you see that those two, who are usually at war with each other, are hanging with each other. They're lying by each other. They're eating together. So what do we have? Verse 6. Here's the wild animal. You have the wolf dwelling with what? The domesticated animal, the lamb. The wild leopard is with a domesticated young goat. The domesticated calf is with the lion. The little child leads them, the cow and the bear. The bear, the wild animal, the cow, the domesticated animal. The lion is the wild animal, and it eats straw, verse 7, like the domesticated animal, the ox. And perhaps, perhaps the the most incredible, memorable imagery of this all is, did you catch that, where you have a little kid? You have a nursing child, so very, very young, and then you have a weaned child, and what are they doing? They're doing like this. They're, 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 they're playing with snakes, all right? So the one child, how does it put it here? The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. What's a cobra? Cobra is very poisonous. We don't have them around here, thankfully, but you will find them in India and Africa and other places of the world. So what do we find? The nursing child is playing over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den. An adder is a poisonous snake and kill you. Now, can you imagine that if, 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 you're, if you're observing from afar and you have, let's say, a mother over here, a young mother, and she sees her little child, maybe, I don't know, one and a half, two or three years old, around the hole of a snake, you know, and the, and the kid's just, you know, the kid's just kind of observing the hole and kind of playing with the, with, uh, over the hole, putting his, putting his or her hand over the hole like this. And as a mother, if you, once the snake, the cobra, the adder begins to emerge, you're just like, ah, you know, you're, you know, you're flying over your child. Don't, don't. That's not what we have here. And the word play here, if you look at verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. 
that's, that's in, in the Hebrew, is referring not just to something that is harmless, but actually is delightful. The child is having fun. The snake, in a sense, is a pet. Do you know how many people a year are killed by snake bites? Well, you wouldn't unless you probably Google it. I Googled it. That's what I found. Snake bites, put, put it up there if you would. There you, snake bites kill an estimated 80,000 to 140,000 people per year worldwide, mostly in rural and impoverished areas. According to the World Health Organization, another 400,000 people are left permanently injured with amputated limbs, blindness, or other severe disabilities due to the venom's effects. People are killed every year, thousands, by snakes, usually in poor countries, rural, rural areas. And even if they survive, there's an amputation because of the poison, there's an amputation of limbs or paralysis or what have you. Is that what we see here? We don't. But when you, you know, you, you read the news, right? Did you catch the news this past year of a, a grizzly bear attack? I think it was in Banff National Park, a middle-aged couple, right? They were camping, and um, I guess it was in the evening or something, a grizzly came and mauled them both of them to death. This is what we hear. We hear of shark attacks in places like Australia and uh, Hawaii, places like that. We hear of uh, lion attacks and uh, leopard attacks and tiger attacks in places like Asia and Africa and other places. And, you know, we, sometimes you hear even in our own country of pit ball maulings, right? And, and oftentimes they're just gruesome, awful stories. Animals attack each other. Animals attack humans. We live, my, my friends, we, we listen, I, I, I don't need to, to, to share some deep theology with you at this point and say, well, you know, the Bible says that the world is groaning, right? We know that. We know the world is groaning, not just because of what we read in the Bible, but because of what we observe in the world around us and what we observe in our own lives. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. If you put up the uh, Romans, can you put up that passage? Notice what he says here. For the creation was subjected to frustration in the hope that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we as in the pains of childbirth right up, or we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And when will that be? Is it the return of Jesus Christ? Groaning, right? The Bible says we groan. The Bible says the world around us shares in that groaning. But that's not what we see in verse 6 here and following. The very, no, notice here, I want to get back to that, that, that the, the child playing with the cobra, with the poisonous adder. This is a very significant image. It's a simple image, but it's significant. Why is that? Because you know what I think the writer is doing here? He's pointing us back to the Garden of Eden. If you know the story in the beginning where God created Adam and Eve, and it was a, a wonderful, it was a perfect and beautiful situation, but then Satan became embodied, if you will, by means of a serpent, which many people believe at that time, before the fall into sin and rebellion, that the serpent was actually a beautiful creature. 
And it was, it was Satan who came in the form of a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve and, and led them into sin, both of them. But you remember through the creation account that, and, and the fall that when, when Satan, through the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve and led them into sin, they were not the only ones to experience the results of the fall into sin. The whole of creation did. Thorns and thistles grew within the creation. Adam worked at the sweat of his brow. The world was turned topsy-turvy, and the world at that point began to groan. Now, isn't it interesting? The very tool, the very instrument that Satan used to lead Adam and Eve and the creation ultimately into sin and rebellion and groaning now is the very creature that's playing with the child. You see the complete reversal of what's going on here? It's a beautiful, it's a, it's, it's a very beautiful image, right? Wild animals, domesticated animals, human beings are all living in perfect peace with each other. I mean, the curse is gone. Now, the curse is here right now, but one day that curse is, is going to be gone. You know, you think, you think about this. How many religions in the world give us the conviction that one day, what we're experiencing here now, with all its beauty, yes, but all its difficulties, one day it's all going to be done away with and restoration will be complete. That's the, that's, the, that's the beauty of the Christian faith. That's the beauty of belonging to Jesus, right? Reminds me of uh, this lifting of the curse, reminds me of the Christmas hymn that we're going to be singing in just a moment after the sermon. That's, you know, we know it, right? Joy to the world. And I want you to notice in one of the stanzas of Joy to the World, it goes like this. Let, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, referring to Jesus, comes to make his blessings flow. Do you know how it ends? As far as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Where's the curse found? It's found in every inch of the creation. There's not one inch of the world that we're living in that was spared from the effects of sin and rebellion. You remember what I said before the, the scripture reading this afternoon that, that oftentimes when we think of Christmas, we think that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins and reconcile us to God. And we sometimes have a very individualized view of, of what Christmas is all about. But there's something more beautiful in what our passage reminds us is that when Jesus, the King, came into this world, he came not only to restore us and reconcile us to God, but he came to reconcile and restore the entire creation to the Lord. Do you know where we find that in the Bible? Colossians chapter 1, listen to this. For it's the Father's good pleasure to have all the fullness of the deity dwell in him in bodily form. And through him to reconcile, and the Greek here is tapanta. It literally means all things. Not just all, just not people. But Christ has come to reconcile all things within the creation to him. I mean, think about that. The world in which we're living one day is going to be completely restored. That's good news. Question is, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Well, I hope we understand that when we look at verses 5 through 10, all of that in its fullness is going to occur when? It didn't occur at the first coming of Jesus Christ, but it's going to occur when he returns a second time one day. That's where we have the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. But here's something I want you to think about. And then I want to draw it to a close. Um, though... Though 
verses 6 through 10 in their fullness, all are pointing us forward, okay? Did you know that already now in this life, we get a little foretaste of the fullness of what is to come? Should I tell you how? Anytime God works his grace in a person's life and grants them the gift of faith, and grants them the ability to embrace Jesus Christ and become his for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. Every time a person comes to Jesus and is transformed by the Spirit of God, and every time that person starts walking with Jesus to such an extent that people realize that he or she is so different than what they used to be, that kind of transformation that occurs on an individual level is a bit of a taste of what God is going to do in the transformation of the entire creation one day. Remember that. When you hear professions of faith, or when, Lord willing, hopefully, in the next few months, we may see an adult baptism take place, that when a person gives their life to Christ and experiences that transformation, God is whetting our appetites and saying, that little thing that you see there, that's going to occur on a worldwide level one day when Jesus Christ returns. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good news in that. There's a lot of comfort in that. So what is that going to be like one day? What is that world going to be like? I'll tell you what it's going to be like. Pain in childbirth. Women here, you've had children. Pain in childbirth, gone. Marital strife, non-existent. Thorns and thistles, it's going to be a thing of the past. Work will be a joy. Tears will be no more. Fatigue, death, Grief, complaint, gossip, lust, guilt, regret, bad memories, bad backs, chronic pain, mental illness, crabby kids, four-letter words, lying, pride, satanic attacks, political gridlock and partisanship in government, droughts, floods, food shortages, hunger, in short, all the scars that we experience in this world and we experience in our lives one day are going to be done away with all thanks to the very Jesus whom God sent into this world. So my friends, this is what Advent is all about. And this is why Jesus Christ came into the world. He came to this earth so that we could celebrate a new beginning and look forward to one day, yeah, a perfect end. And until that time comes, what does the Bible call us to do? To pray, and to pray specifically, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus for us and indeed for the nations of this world who over time more and more will be drawn to the gospel and be drawn to the saving merits of Jesus Christ. But Lord, thank you for the comfort and the blessing to know that one day this world in which we live in, which sometimes creates difficulty in our lives but what we observe all around us too even in the animal kingdom will one day be overturned and beauty and blessing and grace and the knowledge of you will cover this entire new creation as the waters cover the sea thank you for this lord and we pray this all in jesus name amen Let's sing now that hymn that I referenced in the sermon itself, Joy to the World. And we're going to sing three stanzas of that. And let's uh, stand and sing together.